0: Good morning and welcome again to Redemption Parker. I am Justin Pearson. I am the executive and discipleship pastor here for the last month or so at Redemption Parker. Um, if any of you has an idea for a shorter title, that would be helpful. A couple of people have already told me it's a mouthful, so come let me know after the service. Um, like Mark just read, we're gonna be in Acts 13, one through three. But first, I know that my family and I are new, so I wanted to give you a little introduction into me and my family before we get going. I'm originally from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I went to New Mexico State University and studied criminal justice, a little different than pastoring, but we're here now. Um, I studied in seminary at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, My wife is from the Houston area, and she went to the University of Texas, and she's a nurse. We have two boys, Luca, who's four, and Oliver, who's a year and a half. You've probably seen them running around a little crazy. Um, Julie and I met in Fort Worth when I was at seminary, and she was working as a nurse at a local hospital. Uh, And we will be married six years this August. Uh, I've been serving in local churches for about 10 years now, the last three of which have been in Lisbon, Portugal, where Uh, We served with the missions organization Pioneers, which is the same organization that Mark and Jen Oshman are a part of, which is how we know them and how we got connected with Redemption Parker. Um, I'm really thrilled to be here, to be able to serve you all, to get to know you all. Um, If I don't know you yet, come introduce yourself. We could go grab a coffee, grab a meal, and if I have met you, please forgive me for asking your name again and again. I've caught a lot of names in the last month, and so uh, I'll probably ask a couple more times. Um, Forgive me. But enough about me. Let's get to God's word. Mark already read the text, so I'm going to pray again, and we'll get going. God, give us ears to hear your word this morning through your holy spirit let us respond in obedience to what you are calling us to thank you that you are a god who came to us and who sends us to others for your glory and for our joy prepare us to serve however to send whoever and to go wherever you would call us in jesus name amen I've uh, called my message this morning a God-glorifying church. I hope this is an encouragement to you all this morning. I have been encouraged by our time here at RP just to see how people have loved and served and welcomed us in. Um, What is a God-glorifying church? I would say that Redemption Parker is, but I know that people come with different motives. Some people... You know and i know this because this was me some people come because they grew up in the church and it's comfortable they like it the, the the songs and the teaching is usually pretty good it's just an atmosphere that we're used to so we're here but is there anything beyond our just coming on sunday morning and taking it in and then some people come this was me also some people come looking to get something from god They say, I know this, I did, God, I will do A if you'll do B. God, I'll come to church and I may even give if if you give me that promotion, if you get me that scholarship, if you fix my marriage, if my kids behave well. Is that what brought you here? Now our vision here at RP is that we exist for the glory of God and the joy of all people. Is that what we are? Are we a God-glorifying church that exists for God's glory and the ultimate lasting joy in Jesus Christ of all people? Look with me at a model of God-glorifying church in the Bible. Um, Mark talked about this church a few weeks ago when he talked about Barnabas and encouragement, uh, but I wanna look at it from a slightly different angle. So if you'll open to Acts 11:19 through 30 with me. Check it out together. Acts 11:19 through 30. It says, "Now there were those, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of the Lord, and he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. I would say that Antioch, the church in Antioch, is a model of a God-glorifying church in the New Testament. Because of the persecution that came after Stephen was stoned, which was started by Saul himself, the believers were spread throughout the region and then beyond from Judea into Syria where Antioch is. These believers weren't deterred. As they ran for their lives, they continued to speak the word. They shared the gospel. In the face of death, they shared the gospel. But did you notice what the text said? They only shared with the Jews. But right before this, in Acts, we see that God had opened a door of faith the Gentiles through Peter and Cornelius. These believers were still only sharing with the Jews until they got to Antioch. Some believers started sharing gospel with the Gentiles and a great number was being saved. So many people were being saved that the elders of the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch to go see what was going on to look out for this new church. So Barnabas the encourager, goes to pastor this young church and it just keeps growing. So what does he do? He goes and looks for help. He goes and finds Saul, brings Saul to help him lead this new growing church. They lead the church for a year, teaching and discipling. And more people are coming to know Jesus. But then the church sends them out to go serve the church in Judea who is experiencing an extreme famine. This church was growing rapidly because so many people were coming to know Jesus. What a beautiful picture. And then they were being discipled. They were serving and loving each other. But how how could this young church send their two pastors away? They had just come. They had been working with them for a year. How could they send their two pastors away? What would happen to them? So I said that this church in Antioch is a model church a model of a God glorifying church for us. I would say that they are a model church, a God glorifying church, because they are a church that equipped and sent. A God glorifying church, I would say, is one like Antioch that equips its people and sends them. So let's look at our text for today, Acts one, or 13 1 through 3, and see what we can learn from this church, this model, that we can apply today to Redemption Parker so that we can continue to be a God-glorifying church. First of all, we see that the church in Antioch equipped its people. Verse 1 of chapter 13 starts, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Stop there for a second. What kind of people were in the church? They were people who were gifted by the Holy Spirit. It says specifically here prophets and teachers, but we see in Acts 11 that there had to be evangelists there as well. They were, they were sharing the gospel. The hand of the Lord was with them, and people were being saved. What is the role of these people in the church? It's prophets, teachers, evangelists. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4. Let me read it to you. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 tells us the role. He says, and Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Mark said this a few weeks ago when he introduced me and my family. We pastors, we aren't necessarily here to do ministry. We are here to equip each and every one of you to do ministry. It's all in. It's it's all of us. So we saw that this church was being equipped by the leaders to do the work of the ministry. That's what they were doing in Antioch. Saul and Barnabas taught the church for over a year and then went to Judea. The two pastors left. How could the church handle it? It was because they were prepared to and equipped to do the work of the ministry themselves. They knew the word. They taught it to each other. They loved and served each other and they kept sharing the gospel. They were all in. This church in Antioch was all in. They're gifted by the Holy Spirit just like you are. And they were using their gifts. They understood that it wasn't just the pastor's church that they came to on Sundays and listened. They understood that we are the church and they were all playing their role there was no bystander effect in the church in Antioch have you heard of the bystander effect it's when there's a group of people standing around all around and an emergency happens or there's something that needs to get done if everyone's just standing around and no one steps up everyone tends to just assume that someone else is going to step up and do something but nobody does typically. Psychologists started studying the bystander effect in 1964, when sadly a woman named Kitty Genovese was murdered brutally in New York. Now, what stands out about this was not that she was murdered. Unfortunately, murders happen all the time. What's shocking about Kitty Genovese's murder was that 38 of her neighbors reported having watched it happen and did nothing. No one called the police. No one intervened. They all watched, expecting someone else to step in, and nobody did. Now, people who are trained to respond to emergency situations are trained to get people out of the bystander effect. They, they're trained to, to look at somebody in the eye and give them something to specific to do, like you in the white dress. Call the police. You in the black shirt. Get everybody back. So maybe, if that's you, maybe this sermon will be something like that today. So let me ask, what about here at RP? Are you a bystander? Do you see a need and expect that someone else is going to fill it? Are you all in like the church in Antioch? I have, like I said earlier, I am so... Encouraged to see how many people are already serving in the church. But we, like the church in Antioch, need everybody all in. We don't need bystanders, we need everyone involved. We need equipped believers gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve the body of Christ for the glory of God and the joy of all people. We need people serving on Sunday mornings, we need people serving in their gospel communities. We need people loving and serving their neighbors, their coworkers, their classmates, their friends. It may not be the glamorous job, it may not be exactly what you wanna do. You may not get to preach or teach or sing, but you could hold a baby. You could make coffee. You could greet people, make them feel welcome. You could help set up and tear down all this stuff that we do each Sunday. Jesus himself, set the example of humble service when he washed his own disciples' feet. The church in Antioch, they were all in. And what happened? The gospel was spreading. We see the people weren't just equipped. New leaders were being developed as well. The leadership team in Antioch between Acts 11 and Acts 13 grew from two to five people. That's how the church could handle Barnabas and Saul going to Jerusalem to serve that church in their time of need. They had developed new leaders. They were prepared to send because qualified people had stepped in and were equipped to do what they needed to do. Now, some of you might be considering wanting to be in leadership at the church, but maybe you've never done church work or you didn't go to seminary or something like that. Just remember, leadership in the church is more about who you are than what you can do. If you have great character, if you're using the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you to love and serve others already, we can teach you to do something that you don't know how to do. Just remember that. We can learn a little bit more about this team in verse 1. Verse 1 continues, or... Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. There was Barnabas, we know him, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. We know him too. Other than Barnabas and Saul, the names of this leadership team don't really stand out. They're not really the people we think of when we think of biblical heroes. It's not like, oh, Barnabas, Saul... Oh yeah, Manan, that guy, he was cool. We do see, however, that this was a diverse group of men who came together for the glory of God. Barnabas and Saul were Jews, but they weren't from Judea. They were from Roman colonies with big Jewish populations. Then there was Simeon. All we know about him from the text is that his His nickname was Niger. They called him Niger, which in Latin means black, so everyone assumes that he was from somewhere in Africa, but we don't know. And then there was Lucius of Cyrene, another man from Africa. He might have been one of those original people from Cyprus and Cyrene that started evangelizing the Gentiles, but we don't know. And then there was Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. He grew up with King Herod like a brother. He would have had an impressive pedigree, a a great background, if he would. There were lots of Herods. The Herod that he grew up with was the one that killed John the Baptist, tried, and mocked Jesus. This was his lifelong best friend. He gave all that up. Now, was serving this Jesus. He was leading the church in Antioch. This group of leaders had a wide range of backgrounds. They came together all for God's glory. Their differences didn't keep them from working together. This was a diverse group who came together with Jesus as their only common ground. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they literally helped change the world. Ephesians 2 says For Jesus himself is our peace. He has made us both, Jews and Gentiles, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Any cultural difference that we come up against, we should be able to overcome it through the blood, through the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. This church really did exist for the glory of God and the joy of all people. God's plan is for people from every nation to follow him. And we see this in a small picture in the leadership team in Antioch. It's easy to be a part of something where everyone looks like us, they think like us, they act like us. But we really get to see the beauty of God's plan when he brings people together who have nothing in common but Jesus and makes them one Do we seek out diversity in our lives in our church diversity of culture background even opinion would we even welcome it if we're not okay with diversity in the church let me say this we're not really going to like heaven where people from every tribe tongue and nation will be worshiping together around god's throne this diverse group of leaders was working as one body to equip the church for god's glory and we see What happens next? Look with me at verse two. We see that the church in Antioch sent people. Verse two says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Now we see in chapter 12, verse 25, that after already having been sent once, Barnabas and Saul returned to Antioch from serving Jerusalem and they bring someone with them. A young man, John, whose other name was Mark. They brought someone with them along as they went and returned to serve in their local church. So they were sent, they come back, and it's ministry as usual, along with their new intern, Mark, who happened to end up writing a whole book of the Bible. Talk about equipping. Now the church was in the middle of a worship service and they had been fasting. Apparently they were expecting something big. Like Mark said last week, they were using God-appointed means, worship, fasting, to ask for God-sized things. Times of fasting usually are accompanied by times of intense focused prayer. Their hunger led them to pray all the more earnestly while trusting that Jesus would meet their needs. This is why we do a prayer meeting uh, one Friday a month at Lauren and Ryan Fee's house This is why we set apart the first Friday of every month to fast and pray for Redemption Castle Rock. We want to be bold enough to ask God to do amazing things in that church, through that church, in that city, as we prepare to send them. So back to Antioch. They're worshiping, fasting, and God the Spirit shows up he speaks. We don't know who heard him speak. It was the the prophets and the leadership, if it was the whole church. But either way, God the Spirit comes and speaks. And what he says is earth-changing. He tells the church to set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that he has for them. What was the work? What were they being sent to do? Luke tells us in verse 47 of chapter 13, Paul, this is where Saul starts being called Paul, says, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. They were being sent to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, because there is no other name by which we can be saved except Jesus's. So here we see a dramatic shift in the book of Acts. We see the theme, the structure of the book of Acts and the structure of our series in Acts. In Acts 1.8, it says, And you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, or you will be my witnesses in all uh, Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. But up until this point, we've only seen small glimpses of the gospel spreading beyond all Judea and Samaria. If not for the persecution that Saul himself had started, believers might have just stayed in Jerusalem, only sharing the gospel with Jews. But now they've made it to Antioch. The Holy Spirit shows up and it sets Barnabas and Saul apart to do just what Acts 8 promised, to intentionally begin to fulfill that promise by sending witnesses of the salvation that is in Jesus to the ends of the earth. That's why we're worshiping here, in Parker, Colorado, thousands of years later, because people went to share the gospel with Gentiles. This church is worshiping together. The Holy Spirit shows up, sets them apart. What do they do? They obey. They send them just like the Spirit told them to. This church was equipped, and now to God's glory, they were sending because that's what a god glorifying church does. It equips and it sends. You can, you can and you should read what happens, the rest of the story about where they go, what God does through them in the rest of Acts 13 and Acts 14. Back to our text. Verse 3 says, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. They listened to the Spirit, they prayed and fasted some more, again, using God-ordained means to see God's good providence go out to the nations. Just like Jesus prayed before every big transition in his ministry, this church prays, fasts, and then sends two of their pastors to share the gospel. They sent off their superstars, this is Barnabas and Saul, They sent them. They didn't know what was going to happen next, but they knew what it meant to glorify God. Paul says in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This God-glorifying church knew that worship wasn't just the service they came to on Sundays. It wasn't just the songs they sang but it's giving up their whole lives for the glory of God. So they were all in. They were serving the church for God's glory and they were equipped to fill the holes left by the two pastors they were sending out. And what about RP? As we get ready to send out Redemption Castle Rock, are you prepared to fill the holes that will be there? When we send out a big group of people for God's glory in Castle Rock, for those people's joy many of the people that we're sending out are leading in ministries here at RP. Are we going to notice the gaps? Or will people step up and serve so that no matter who we send out, we're still ready to keep up with what God has for us here at Redemption Parker? And this will lead me, this leads me to one last issue. If we're going to sin, if our gospel communities are going to multiply are we willing to have gospel goodbyes so that more people get to hear about Jesus, get to know Jesus? Goodbyes are never easy, but they come with being a multiplying and sending church. As people are equipped and sent out, those of us that do the sending, we're gonna have to say goodbye. And the relationships will change. Change will have to happen as we multiply gospel communities, it will happen as we send missionaries, and it will happen as we plant new churches. Can we, like Paul, see everything, even good things like relationships, as lost, so that more people can know Jesus? It's not easy, but gospel goodbyes are worth it as we seek to glorify God through RP, by equipping the church and sending more people. What if we were like the church in Antioch? Or, say it another way, what if we were like Kentucky basketball? I'm sure there are a few college basketball fans out there. And if you are, you know that probably for the last decade, Kentucky basketball has sent one to five players every year, freshmen and sophomores that is, to the NBA, along with all the players that graduate. Well, what do they do the next year? They reload, gather more talent, all just to dominate college basketball again. And they've done it year after year for at least a decade. What if we at RP were like Kentucky basketball, or like the church in Antioch, a constant revolving door of gospel talent sent out so that we're not just seeking our, our own little kingdom here at Redemption Parker, but for God's glory and the joy of all people we are seeking his kingdom. What if once we sent Redemption Castle Rock, we got ready, we reloaded, and did it again and again and Again. To that end, let's pray. God, I pray that as your church, we would be all in. We would be prepared to serve, to go so that more people could experience the life that comes through faith in your son, Jesus. Would we be a church that uses the gifts that you've given us to equip, to serve, and to send? Be glorified in Redemption Parker, let us multiply over and over for your glory. It's in Jesus' name, amen.